Hi, Alex. Happy Hi, Monday. <laughs> Normally we're recording on Tuesday, but today uh, doing it on a Monday, which is great. Although, you know, we have that after the weekend kind of catch up that we're not catching a whole full a day bit, in like between. Up, but it feels like a good way to kind of start the week with just like some kind of relaxing conversation. Um, yeah. Uh, get to get to talk to our new guest and everything. I'm glad the, the weather's nice. We had terrible storms like all weekend, but. Uh, oh yeah, I know. Back and forth all all day. We we out. Uh, I'm just sitting beside uh, a window, looking into our backyard, and I can see where you know we have the fire pit going because we managed to squeeze a fire in Saturday night in between oh, the excellent. rainfall. And then Leslie's got her two little workshop tables out there where she's out working on wood, and then hauls the saws all back in for the rain, and then back out again when <laughs> when there's a bit of a sunny oh, break. So Leslie's <laughs> the handy one then. Yeah, she likes to do all that kind of stuff. And she got a table saw for Christmas. So she's been steadily building and I've got Excellent. my list going. And I mean, the list is getting shorter. She's built quite a few things, which is, uh, I'm I'm so impressed every time. I mean, I look at stuff, I'm smart, but this is not a place where I'm smart. And I, I look at stuff <laughs> and I think, okay, how is she going to put that together for me? Because what we do is we reclaim wood from the side of the road, right? So, so for example, oh, one cool, of the planters yeah. in our front yard is actually, she came home one day in the middle of winter with, with four dresser drawers and sat them on the front deck and I'm like oh my god what are what are we doing <laughs> this the front deck is looking like uh, anyway so uh, but what she wound up doing was taking the two larger ones and mounting them onto feet essentially and turning it into a two-tiered planter um, so oh, it looks cool. like yeah. yeah it's really cool uh, and so we have some veggies that we grew we did this winter sowing where you put all your seeds and everything into uh, like uh, used um, windshield washer buckets. You cut them all the way around almost completely. So there's a hinge and put holes in the bottom and you fill yeah. them full of soil and put the seeds on, take the lid off and you just leave them outside. We put them outside in February. And so we took them, uh, opened them up in the summer. We mm -hmm. did have a slight issue with naming them. We had put numbers on and I had my spreadsheet, but the numbers faded. So some stuff, we're not sure what's oh, coming no. <laughs> up, but <laughs> but we'll see. And uh, I mean, we have an overall list, but I wasn't, some numbers held up under the sun and some numbers didn't. So I couldn't correlate them to my list. But anyway, so we've got those in this planter and it's, it's doing extremely well. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy I did the winter sewing thing. So she's done that and she's done a planting table for me. So I'm out there every weekend and in the evenings if I can planting away, which is. Yeah, uh, that's excellent. You kind of you get to see the um, I'm sure it's it's interesting to see all these kind of like strange little pieces like the drawers you mentioned kind of and get to see what they turn into and stuff. You start with something a yeah. little strange, but then you end up with something new, which is really cool. Yeah. She took, she built a table for the back deck cause we had one of those round sort of metal ones and she always hated it. I didn't know. So she said, that's it. I'm replacing <laughs> this table. So she built a table for the back deck and she took a chair seat and she turned it upside down and she attached it to the four legs near like underneath the table as a, a like a lower shelf that's got like, a oh, rib around it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's really handy because we put stuff in there and it's so windy because we back onto a large uh, green area. Um, and so it's windy all the time. So we can put our stuff in there and it's kind of protected from the wind. So mm, yeah, we've yeah. got a bit of that here too, like a like kind of big back lot, uh, lots of uh, lots of greenery back there, which we're really appreciative for. But um, no, I've been thinking about kind of starting like a little garden or something like a trellis uh, myself as well, just because um, that we're we're up on the second floor. So I'm right. interested in kind of making like one of those like window herb gardens or something. So maybe I'll uh, yeah. see if I can get some advice from Leslie on building it then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, she's 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 done quite a few things. She we found a, a a wine rack, a wooden wine rack on the side of the street, and she uh, 
I grabbed it. She didn't want to take it. I said, let's take it. Well, we've now turned it into trellises for a number of the climbing plants that we have. Oh, that's so fantastic. That's very cool. So I guess we should maybe um, stop talking and, and go get Colin. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get the show started. Okay, we'll be back in a sec. Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to uh, interview my friend Colin Druin from Pride at Work Canada today. Um, we have remote uh, video production that's brought and uh, producing our, our uh, podcast this afternoon. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see we have ASL interpretation, and that's brought to you by Maple Communications Canada. So I'm going to take a minute and introduce myself, and then we'll let Colin chat because we want to hear from him. So uh, my name is Deidre Guy, and I am uh, the founder and, and I guess president of the Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada. Uh, and what we do is we find <clears throat> businesses that are owned by people with disabilities or by veterans and often the two intersect uh, and we put them through a certification process that certifies them as a an official diverse supplier here in Canada and then we uh, introduce them to a corporate Canada and governments in Canada who are looking to diversify their supply chain and to add these disabled businesses and, and veteran businesses into their supply chain and look to do business with them. So um, thank you again for being here. We have uh, Colin Drew and as I mentioned I'm so happy and excited and proud Proud to have him here as part of our IWSCC first season. So, Colin, welcome, uh, and uh, and just you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and what do you do. Sure. Well, first, thanks so much for having me. It's really wonderful to um, be with you, and it's wonderful to see you. I, I haven't seen you in such a long time. So, yeah, my name's Colin. My pronouns are he/him, and I'm the executive director of Pride of Work Canada. Um, we're a national nonprofit, and we function as a member services agency for employers. So uh, we work with about 250 employers um, across Canada, and we support them in their diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies as they pertain to sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. But obviously, you know, when you're working with queer and trans communities, folks from queer and trans communities come from every walk of life, uh, you know, every other type of identity, every race or ethnicity, every religious background, every, you know, folks of all abilities, um, folks of all uh, languages. So we all often have to take a look at some of those other parts of the, uh, the identities of the communities that we work with as well. And um, we also have a few public facing programs now. So we've got a couple leadership programs, some networking programs. So making some inroads into how we work with job seekers as well. But super excited to be here and talk to you a little bit more about what we do. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I've been watching you. <clears throat> we did some work together a few years back. And, and I know that when we have more time as organizations, we'll do some some further work. Uh, and, and, you know, the disability world kind of intersects in that same way, too, as the LGBT community does. And, and so mm -hmm, we have something yeah. in common there where, where disability uh, can be part of any person's um, life, whether they, you know, race, color, gender, all that sort of stuff. And, and I guess the same thing happens in the LGBT community. So that, that intersectionality part is really interesting to me. And, and it was a word that I've just learned in the last, you know, five or six years or so. It's, so it's something that, uh, that I love that you're working and, and digging into. So tell us, can you get into a, like sort of the, the, the grassroots of Pride at Work? How did it start? And, and how long have you been there? And, and, you know, so where has it come to under your leadership? Yeah, Pride of Work Canada started in 2008, and it was a volunteer-run organization um, that was really focused on getting the kind of queer and trans inclusion uh, 
agenda, you know, on the desks of corporate Canada, which is really trying to get folks to kind of pay attention to some of the specific things that need to be done to bring down uh, barriers for folks in the community and, and really ensure that, you know, people who are queer, trans, two-spirit, however they identify, are able to get access to good jobs and rising incomes. So the beginning of Friday Work Canada really focused on a lot of, you know, what some people might say, like white collar professions. So consulting, okay. um, like legal, finance, that kind of stuff. They did a lot of networking. And after a little while, I believe that the volunteers who are running the organization realized, you know, this country is full of um, just really super qualified, competent, um, ready to work folks from the community. And if we just focus on those people, we're not really going to see a ton of movement on the barriers to employment side of things. So they hired their first executive director and started doing more programming for employers. So then I came along in 2014. Um, that's when I uh, took the position of ED after there had been a vacancy in the role for about a year. And I decided to switch um, the format of the agency to that of a member services organization. So really setting up the participation with private work as a, as a membership. And, you know, at that time we had about 30 employers engaged and try to set up a, a formalized membership program. You give us a fee every year. We will give you a certain set of services every year, and we are going to help you um, get access to that um, queer and trans labor market in Canada. And so that was 2014. And now we're here in 2022. And now we've got 250 employer wow. members. And we work with over 70 community groups as well. So those are uh, community organizations like IWSCC that are, they get all of the same benefits as our corporate members, but they don't pay us a damn thing or a darn thing. Sorry. <laughs> I, love that I don't know if I can curse. You can say if damn I can on curse this podcast. On yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they don't pay us anything because, you know, we want to make sure that folks um, from our communities are able to access jobs in whatever field they want to work in. If they want to work in banking, if they want to work in transportation, if they're, uh, you know, a tradesperson, um, if they want to work for the uh, provincial or federal government, if they want to work uh, like you, working to make a difference for people who are from equity deserving groups, everybody should be able to get a good job and advance just like everybody else. So um, it's been a lot of growth. At one point, I was the only staff member and we just hired our 17th person last week. Wow. Um, very exciting. And I'm very proud to say that the majority, I think now of folks who work at Pride of Work Canada are actually from outside of Canada. So oh. we, I think, have maybe a dozen or to 15 languages spoken on our team. And wow. that's just the, I think one of the best things about our team is that, you know, we've got such a, a rich diversity um, in the staff team and the group that we have coming to work every day. And what I love about that is that there's not a single person on the team who doesn't really kind of feed into our programs, right? Because everybody's got that rich lived experience of being queer, trans, um, however they identify. But then they also have all these other beautiful parts of their identity that they can bring in. Um, and connect the 250 employers that we work with to all of that, um, all of that great background that they have uh, working with the community. So was that by design hiring outside of Canada? And I assume this is all virtual work. Yeah, we have. A, well, I'm in our office right now. Yeah. And uh, we do have some folks who come in um, to the office, but we have people in uh, Nova Scotia, in Quebec, in, in uh, BC. So we've got people all over. We do a lot of um, a lot of uh, a lot of you know zooming and Google Hangouts and things like that. Our 
our all staff chat is so active. I had to mute it for um, for this conversation. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be little dings every five seconds. But um, you know, I, we didn't really set any targets when it came to recruiting um, uh, newcomers and, and and immigrants to our um, uh, to our staff team. Um, but we, you know, we do take an approach when we're hiring that we don't just look at the kind of hard skills that folks bring to the job. We also think about the lived experience that they bring. And for instance, you know, our manager of business development, he has um, experience rolling out diversity, equity and inclusion programs all across um, Asia. So he worked for a Hong Kong based consultant um, from India and he did, he's done presentations, you know, all over um, East Asia, South Asia. And, you know, that's, that's just such a valuable experience because most of the companies we work with are global companies right. um, that actually have to think about how they're going to include folks in many different jurisdictions, including jurisdictions where it might actually be illegal to be openly gay, or it might be illegal to be trans, or, you know, you might face state-sponsored violence or just, you know, general day-to-day -day violence um, because of who you are. Um, so it's really important for us to get that global perspective, but it's also important for us that our team and our board are as reflective of the communities that we serve as it can be, because that's how we're going to be able to make a difference across a super diverse uh, group of folks that we work with at Pride Work Canada. That's amazing. And I love that approach. And I'm actually going to consider that in our on our own hiring practices as, as IWSEC becomes larger. Um, I think that's... and and. So to have 250 um, member companies at this point, and, and what's that, about eight years, something around that time frame, eight, nine years, seven, eight years, something? Yeah, yeah. I've got the crow's feet to prove it, eight years. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's an incredible strategy. And one that, um, I mean, that's uh, foresight, like you wouldn't believe, because you've really been able to take this organization into a direction uh, it probably wasn't headed in when you first came along. Yeah, we had a we've always had really progressive leadership at our our board. Um, but you know, I think that the the way that we've been successful is uh, anytime you know, in my perspective, I I have a long history of working with queer and trans communities. So uh, I'm I'm very used to the stuff that I'm doing in my work for people to kind of look at me cockeyed and say that's a full-time job oh that's a job that you do so <laughs> so I, i've always been used to that and i i always find that anytime there's something that makes particularly kind of corporate employers if it makes them uncomfortable or if they don't want to talk about it that usually means that that's exactly what we need to lean mm -hmm. into right mm -hmm. so i when i first started i had a history of working um with trans communities i had worked on a few programs that were specific to kind of meeting some needs of like trans non-binary gender diverse folks and a lot of the people that i started working with back in 2014 when i began my role they were cisgender people so they were not transgender and they were gay or lesbian or maybe bisexual and you know they were looking at the strategy in their organization from their lived experience mm -hmm. where they had constantly faced homophobia and they maybe didn't know a lot of trans people or you know they did know trans people but they didn't know that they were trans because those folks were not out to them because mm -hmm. the, the majority of trans folks that i know are not out in their workplace yeah. so you know i from the beginning really wanted to lean into that and say you know your strategy here at you know, whatever bank or whatever law firm, it looks really solid when it comes to including people who are gay and lesbian, 
what do you have in terms of guidelines for folks who are going to transition in the in the workplace? What do your health benefits look like for people who would look for gender affirming care, that sort of thing? And they kind of looked at me like I had two heads sometimes and said, mm -hmm. well, we don't have any of those people working here. And I said, well, those people <laughs> are a very important part of the Canadian economy and they work everywhere and they have a lot of trouble getting good jobs in this country. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be an employer of choice, if you want to move you know, in the right direction and kind of see around those corners, you're going to see the importance that trans and gender diverse folks um, bring to the labor market in Canada. And, you know, it was it was difficult for a while because not everybody wanted to, you know, expand their strategy that way. But then in 2018, the Canadian Human Rights Act was amended. Um, to add gender identity and gender expression. So federally regulated employers and really all employers in Canada at that point had a new responsibility to trans and gender diverse communities where they have a new uh, legal obligation to those communities. And then suddenly I'm everybody's best friend and everybody <laughs> wants to know what was all that stuff you were saying about trans inclusion a couple of years ago? Um, <laughs> so I just always think that if there's a subject matter that people are not talking about that's where we need to go and that's where you know jade pichette who is our director yes, of programs jade, yeah, yeah. jade is fantastic and jade really helps us see around those corners you know if you want to talk about um you know some of the most cutting edge stuff the best webinar that we have ever done was done last summer by jade and it was the intersection of queer and trans identities with accessibility, with a real focus on neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. And if you actually look at the numbers, folks who are trans or gender diverse, it's much more likely that they're gonna have a, a diagnosis um, around neurodiversity. It's just okay. statistically, that, that's, what, that's what happens. And I don't have a lot of you know, information on why or where that comes from, but it's just something that we see a lot. And you know, that kind of intersection is so interesting, but that was the best webinar that we've, I think we've ever done. And it was just so interesting because you wouldn't think on its face that there's a ton of content there, but I, they could have filled a whole day in some wow. of the stuff, you know, folks coming to pride events and them not being physically accessible, um, things not being um, set up in a way that really acknowledges the way that different people learn. Uh, the different learning types, I should say, like mm -hmm. different ways that people absorb information and uh, and how sometimes we think we're being inclusive by doing this pride event and we're just leaving out people left and right. So, right. you know, I, I just love the way that Jade approaches that, um, that part of their job and the way that, you know, they agree with me that if our companies that we work with are, are kind of iffy on something or if they kind of, I uh, don't really want to talk about that. Well, that's what we're going to do our next program on. <laughs> right. I'm going to have to check that out. I've checked out uh, a lot of us. Uh, I mean, I follow them on 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 Twitter. And um, so that's one of the places where I see a lot of their great posts. And I check out a lot of that. But that's uh, a, of interest to me. And I thought that you were going to say that folks in the queer and, and transgender community are diagnosed with mental health disabilities. And then you, you kind of took a left turn on me and said neurodiverse. And so I was like, okay, that doesn't make as much sense as mental health would uh, in terms of you know what they've gone through in order to get to where they are at the moment neurodiverse is a whole new uh, ball game though and that's very very interesting and I'd love to read more on that so thank you for sharing that um, I, I was going to ask you about 
how your personal history and back and experience has served you. But I think you've already told us that. I mean, that's <laughs> you've brought so much of it forward from having worked in that community for so long. Um, so last week I was at, or I guess a week ago, Friday and Thursday, I was at the CGLCC, which we mentioned earlier, the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. And so just for the viewers, they the CGLCC does the same type of work as IWSCC. They've, they've been around longer as an organization and they support entrepreneurs in the LGBTQ2 plus space. And so I'm curious to know, <clears throat> uh, with working with employment um, for folks in the LGBT community, um, where does any conversation on entrepreneurial and entrepreneurship. We, we saw so amazing, so many amazing companies and so many amazing uh, entrepreneurs and organizations and support organizations at the conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I mean, I love going to the CGLCC conferences. I like going to all of them, but in all honesty, the CGLCC, I would say is probably the most fun. We might have to cut that out, Andrew, so I don't upset anyone else, but, but it's always tons of fun. The food is fantastic. There's always lots of great drinks afterwards and dancing and lots of fun. But it's a, a fantastic and close-knit community. And so I'm curious to know, does the conversation of entrepreneurship um, come up in your, in your, and when you're talking to these 250 organizations? And is there any discomfort there uh, with having them be doing business with uh, entrepreneurs in the LGBTQ2 uh, plus space or, uh, you know, for, out of our interest in the disability space or veteran space? Anything that you've noticed there? Yeah, I mean, we always refer our employer partners to the CGLCC and IWSCC. We always think that it's great. You. you know, it's great for, um, you know, it's great for Canada as an economy, the more people who are able to participate and really contribute. So um, we always we always really like to direct folks over to CGLCC. So they have a great network of, um, you know, LGBT owned um, businesses. Um, they do a lot to support their members. And, you know, when I think about what they're doing, I think about it in the context of leadership, because that's really, we look at organizational leadership in some of the programming that we do. And I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, um, you, you've got to be a leader, right? And, you know, it's the, it's the reason, and the more resilient you are as a leader, I think the better an entrepreneur you are. It's why we see so many um, newcomers and refugees starting businesses, because these mm -hmm. folks are resilient. They've been through a lot. Uh, and it requires that entrepreneurial spirit. And I, I actually think about it a lot in the context of being queer and trans. I mean, I think about some of the barriers that people face to just getting their family to use their name, right? Because they, mm -hmm. they transition, they change their name and getting your whole professional network to see you um, in a way that they didn't previously see you. I mean, that takes guts, that takes ingenuity. Yes. So I, I think I think a lot of folks bring that, and I, I think that too about people with disabilities, people who are neurodiverse, um, people with learning disabilities, um, you, it takes a lot to persevere. And I think those are the, those are the kind of people you wanna be working with. You know, the mm -hmm. people who have been fighting their whole life just to be given a chance. And I, I, that's really what I think about when I think about leadership. We were just actually really fortunate the Future Skills Center gave us almost $200,000 to research um, queer and trans people um, in positions of leadership and how and how they got there and what they had yeah. to overcome to get there. So we hired uh, Misha Goforth. Um, she's a researcher. She's leading that project. And the thing that I, I actually find the most fascinating about the way that she's approaching that and the way that we want to approach that research is that a lot of queer and trans people, like you said about people with disabilities, Sometimes we have to compromise and we have to choose like one part of our identity that we're going to lean into a little bit more. 
you know, I hear this a lot from um, queer executives who are racialized, particularly folks who are black, who are indigenous, not everybody, but I hear often from some folks who are racialized, it's tough for me to be out in the workplace because I'm already marginalized in this way where people have me, they think they have me figured out as soon as they look at me. And then if mm -hmm. you layer being bisexual on top of that, for example, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. So we don't actually, we actually see people in job interviews or in pitch meetings, you know, compromising on how much they're disclosing about who they are. And I hear from some folks a lot of guilt. You know, I hear that from people of all kind of walks of life in the, in the queer and trans communities that we work with. You know, oh, I feel like I should be out. I feel like I have a responsibility to being out. And I mean, it's not your responsibility to solve the world's problems, I tell them. You know, the world yeah. is a really difficult place. And and sometimes you don't feel a sense of safety or security in an environment. And, you know, we gotta put some food on the table for our families yes. too. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I don't I don't think it's fair to say that somebody who is not out as a business owner or as an executive, you know, you don't it's not fair to say, well, you're not out, so you're not helping the community. I think sometimes succeeding is is that that is the way that you're helping the community and i see so many people who you know they reach some kind of level of success where they feel safe and secure and they're able to come out and then they actually take steps to make a better environment for others and so that's really kind of what i think about entrepreneurs is that mm -hmm. you know sometimes sometimes no matter who you are whether you might be straight but you might have to compromise on disclosure in some way in order to get further or get the same uh, you know, the same length that somebody else has gotten. And then maybe after you become a little bit successful, you can come out and you can kind of be more honest about who you are. Uh, but those barriers are very real. If you, um, in Canada, if you have details on your resume that out you as a person who is um, 2S LGBTQIA+, you're 25% uh, less likely to be called for an interview than other candidates. So that teaches people to, to conceal who they are. And it, it gives people mm -hmm. a little bit of a um, mixed message, right? Because, well, you've got rainbows on your job postings and your logos and you're doing the pride parade, but then I apply and I don't get a call. So I, I don't know which one is it. So, you know, I, I think that um, when it comes to working with, you know, uh, with job seekers or entrepreneurs, I think a lot of companies need to, what I tell them is they have to match their messaging with their actions so it's great to mm -hmm. do those um you know the rainbow stuff around pride or whatever but if you're not taking meetings with those diverse suppliers and if you're not setting some intention and some targets around we want to work with suppliers um from these communities um then you're not really putting your money where your mouth is are you no and that's some very good points you brought up in there and and you reminded me at the beginning when you were talking about um the the difficulties that folks that are marginalized uh have in terms of entrepreneurship or just in terms of everyday life and i hadn't quite heard it described that way before and i'm probably going to steal some of that when i'm talking to corporate members about signing on for their membership with iwscc i use a phrase uh, that says when you when you live outside the box, you think outside the box mm -hmm. and you work outside the box, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of how it works for anyone in the marginalized community. Of course, I use it for 
for those who have disabilities. But I also use it for veterans. Um, you know, many veterans come back from active service with one type of disability or another, uh, or just having been part of the military often can contribute to uh, disabilities. Uh, and so, you know, we talk a lot about that too, because we do see in our line of work where veterans are not disclosing the fact that they are a veteran when they're when they're talking about their entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship because there's so much stigma out there. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that IWSCC looks to do on an overall basis is like our overarching mandate is looking to reduce stigma. Um, so, and I, I, do you see a shift where people will be looking at resumes that basically are, have no identification at all? Like just talk about, you know, what you've done in your life experience and your hobbies, but not your name or age or any of that type of thing. Do you see a place for that? Is that a conversation? So I, you know, I kind of, I go back and forth on this. And I I think it's a really interesting discussion because there's all of these um, things that people do uh, where they take the names off their resumes or they kind of anonymize them a little bit. And I mean, I think that from my perspective, that's uh, trying to work around people's biases instead of teaching people um, the negative impact of those biases. Because like we said, when we're looking at hiring folks for Pride of Work Canada, we don't take the people who were born outside of Canada and put them in a separate pile Mm -hmm. and say, well, let's look at these people and then here's the people born in Canada. We don't do anything like that. We just go through the applications in a way saying, you know, what are the competencies required for this role and who applied here, who has them? And we keep an open mind in terms of, I've never heard of that university before that they went to, it's in another country. Maybe I should Google it and see if it's a good school. Mm -hmm. Looks like a great school to me. Awesome. Let's move them on to the next round, right? So I think it's sometimes when we anonymize things, we're we're, we're ask people to remove some of those personal things to reduce bias. We're not acknowledging the responsibility that we have around hiring processes to, to really help people understand that people bring a rich diversity to their job outside of just their professional skills. I work with a lot of HR folks and I constantly get this question of what if I have two people who are equally qualified and one of them is a person with a disability and one of them isn't. And I always say, if the only thing that you see different between two applicants is one, one of the applicants is a person with a disability, the problem is with you. It is not with Mm -hmm. the two applicants, you know, I have to make a decision. Am I going to help this person with a disability or, or, or this other person? First of all, if the person's qualified, you're not quote helping them or giving them a shot or, uh, you know, taking a chance on them. You're hiring them because they're qualified for a job and they have a part of their identity that has, like I said before, made them a really resilient worker, has probably made them have to come up with some creative solutions to some environments that weren't built for them. Um, So again, if you just look at two applicants and the only thing in your head that is different between those two people is that one of them is from an equity deserving group. I just find it very hard to believe that there's two people out there who went to the same school, who graduated the mm-hmm. same year and had the exact same career trajectory. Uh, people need to open their minds a little bit sometimes when they're thinking about this stuff. And should should that even be on the list of pros, cons or categories or whatever in terms of the decision making process? Should a disability or, or being in the LGBTQ2 plus community uh, be even a factor in the hiring process. Yeah, a, you know, they really should say both these applicants are the same. Yeah. Not, oh, well, one has a disability. Exactly. Yeah. And you want to sometimes take a look, I say to folks who work in HR, you want to take a look at, uh, you know, we talk about culture fit a lot. Like, oh, does this per- is this person going to fit in? 
what do what need do I have for somebody who's going to fit in? I like my managers mm -hmm. to cap to challenge me to say, you know, Colin, I think a little bit differently about this. And from my experience, we might want to do it this way. And nine times out of mm -hmm. 10, I like their way better. You know, my dad was mm -hmm. a, my dad's a tradesman and he's got three tickets and he worked with a lot of apprentices. And then he taught at a community college and he would send these young people out on work experience and they would come back. And that was the thing that I would hear him say all the time. I like your way better. You know, I taught you to do it this way. You went out and worked at some business that I've never heard of before. You come back and you've got a new way of fitting these pipes together. I think it's great. So let's go with that. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you learn what else is out there, you know, by hiring people who come from a different perspective than you and bringing them together. That's how we innovate things. That's how we get really fresh ideas. And like you say, that's how we think outside the box. Because if we're just hiring mm -hmm. everybody who went to the same university or, you know, hiring everybody who um, all their kids go to the same private school or whatever, uh, we're going to be getting a really, uh, you know, a, a workforce that all thinks the same and customers mm -hmm. and consumers don't all think the same. So it doesn't make any sense to me why you would do that. No, I completely agree. It just puts you into this siloed position as an organization, and then you're only going to be attracting the people that you you have. You know what I mean? So it's just absolutely it's it's basically tanking the organization. Uh, I mean, I I think that you know we should look at that for a, a much larger conversation that we won't have today. But just as a as a country, yeah. right? <laughs> well, we've got a big skilled labor shortage, like a looming shortage coming up for skilled labor. Mm. And it's not mm -hmm. just going to be filled by all of the people who have been in some of those jobs before. So we got to get creative and we got to attract them. I just came back from the Canadian Apprenticeship um, Conference in Halifax, my hometown. And one of the things that I learned from one of the sessions there was if we could just teach some of the journey persons how to text. <laughs> folks could just text better. Um, they would be able to communicate with younger folks or people who are not um, comfortable talking on the phone. It's just like a cultural mm -hmm. thing that younger folks are more into text communication than they are into calling on the phone. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, that just helps you with so many different groups of people right there. <laughs> yes, yes. That's interesting. That's a very interesting. I, I'm going to be in Halifax in a month. I'm so excited. I was there in 2019 for the first time. And I just I was there with my girlfriend. And we just had a fantastic time. We were there for work or I was but we stayed a few extra days and had a great time. So I'm super looking forward to it again. Um, I'm going to back to my questions, although I all these podcasts, I get chatting away. And I'm like, I, I have to come back to my questions because you know, there is a point to this. But, but uh, <clears throat> I'm having such a great conversation. So, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I had a conversation with someone from your organization and, and their name is escaping me at the moment. This is a couple of years ago. I'm not sure that they're with you any longer, but they were talking to me about how Pride at Work Canada was looking to make sort of an organizational shift away from diversity, equity, and inclusion and changing those words a little bit. Uh, is that the case? And can you talk a little bit about that? What motivated that? Yeah, the team um, really responded well to something that uh, an article that was written by this person, um, uh, Ida Merriam Davis. I hope I said their name correctly, but they're the founder and CEO of an organization called uh, decolonized design. And the name of the article, which was published by the World Economic Forum, was uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Have Failed. How about belonging, dignity, and justice instead? So we still use the terms diversity, equity, and inclusion because that's what a lot of the employers we work with use. They mm -hmm. talk about their DEI team, their DEI department. 
Um, and I, I think that those words definitely still carry a lot of weight. And they, there's, they, there's, I'm not a marketing person, right? So I don't really get into the whole, um, the marketing kind of verbiage of it all. But we love those words, dignity, belonging, and justice, because I've been working in workplace inclusion for a while. And I find that the focus tends to be on the people who need to learn the most. Um, so in our case, the cis straight people who need to learn the things about queer and trans people. And I always ask um, employers if they say, you know, can somebody come in and do a session about trans inclusion where they tell us about, you know, what transgender means and explain gender identity and explain gender expression. And I say, well, what are your trans employees going to get out of that session? What are they mm -hmm. getting out of it? And it's a real head scratcher for them because they never actually thought about what they could do for those folks. They thought, well, we should focus on the people who aren't trans and we should tell them about trans people. But then you're talking about trans people like they're not in the room. And I can tell you they're in a lot of rooms. I work with a lot of organizations where they say, well, we don't have any trans employees. And in my head, I'm counting all of the trans folks that I know who work there. So we really want to shift the focus away from how people are different from the uh, majority and focus on those people who are from equity deserving groups, those people who are queer, trans, people with disabilities, racialized, what are you doing to empower them to take leadership in their own career and in your workplace and having, what are you doing to empower them to speak up and say, this is what needs to change um, or I want to do it this way. Uh, and that's really what the kind of the paradigm shift is at Pride of Work Canada. We don't want the thing to just be about the people who have the most to learn. We also want it to be about the people who have the most to gain from just being lifted up a little bit. So I think uh, when I spoke to uh, the person from your organization, I made a mistake and I took uh, belonging uh, and dignity and respect out of the conversation, not belonging, dignity and justice. Um, so I like that that word justice. And so when you when you just maybe unpack the thoughts on using those words a little bit more, if you don't mind. It it struck me almost like a light bulb when, when I was first talking about it. And the more we talk about it internally as an organization, so I'd love to hear it from, from your words. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, what those words really mean. You know, for me, belonging, uh, when, you, when you feel like you belong, you feel kind of like you can participate, you know, like you feel like you're part of something. I remember one of my first jobs, in the community was working at the Inside Out Film Festival, which is the queer film festival in Toronto. And I had just moved to Ontario from Nova Scotia. And when I was doing stuff in the theater there for a screening, like a, a screening about a lesbian movie or something like that, and seeing people who were the same gender holding hands and having their arms around each other, I had never seen that before. Like I just hadn't seen that in mm. public before where I grew up. And it was the mm -hmm. first time, honestly, that I felt like I was living in a world that was built for me. I just, I thought I want the world, the whole world to be like this all the time, because I just never thought anybody could ever do that, put their armor around somebody. I mean, this is like 20 something mm -hmm. years ago um, in a movie theater. And I just thought, oh, this is great. This is what I want. And when you feel like you belong, you feel more invested in the environment. So if you're going to work every day and you feel like it's somebody else's workplace, what do you care? What do you care if it succeeds? What do you yeah. care if it makes money or if it fails? But if you go in every day and feel like this environment was made for me, these people are here for me, this is my team, you can really participate and you can really thrive. And then when we think about dignity, you know, I, I went to the 
to a store to use our Aeroplan card after my partner went through the other day. And even then they said, well, you can only use that card. He handed the card back to me. You can only use that card if you're in the same family. And we were like, well, we are a family because we're married. And the person laughed at us. And that did not make oh. me feel dignified and feel like I had dignity in that moment. You're laughing at the family that we've built for ourselves, right? So when, I, when you feel that you can participate with dignity, you feel like a person. And I'm never going to go back to that store ever again. No, I guess ever not. Again. <laughs> never. And I'm never even going to tell yeah. them, give them that feedback because I don't care if they succeed or fail. They've lost my business yeah. already. And, you know, when we think about justice, um, you know, it just it's about doing what's right. You know, I think the thing that I get so sick and tired of is the business case for this stuff, because I just think if mm. I mean, just look around at the world that we live in. And you think about the last couple of years and how many more people are involved in conversations about, um, you know, racial wage gaps and gender wage gaps and how we have to close these um, these chasms between folks of different communities and we have to get more people working and better jobs and all that kind of stuff. This, there's a real imperative where if you want to be in the world today, you have to start thinking about this stuff. And it's the right thing to do, not just because it's going to be good in a corporate newsletter and make everybody feel good. The more people who can participate in this co- in the economy in Canada with dignity and the more people who can get good jobs pay taxes, have incomes that rise, the better it is for everybody. And that is how we create a, a just Canada where everybody can, everybody can achieve economic success. Everybody can advance at the same rate because we're not all advancing at the same rate right now. That is extremely well said. I appreciate that. I'm going to jot that down word for word and use it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, no, I just, I love it. I loved the whole concept. And, and I think that that's what happens is organizations. Well, we've got our DE&I team. Uh, and for us, I think there needs to be an A in there, which is for accessibility as well, which we don't often see in this, you know, the DE&I efforts. People are like, oh yeah, accessibility. It always seems to be that sort of add on at the end type of thing. Uh, but again, that's a rant for another I day. Am, I, I, I want to, ha- sorry, so, go ahead. I'm so sorry to, to interject, but I am so proud of Jade for putting together our accessibility action plan for Pride at Work Canada, which is going to be published mm-hmm. this fall. Um, and along with that is going to be a how-to guide about how our employer partners can create their own accessibility action plans. So I just wanted to throw that in to thank Jade for all of their work on that. Well, I'm going to maybe then reach out to them because um, there's an organization that's a, a disabled supplier with IWSCC that's working on the same sort of thing. Maybe there's some collaboration that could be that done be in, that, in that space as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So a, a little bit of a surprise here, Colin, but I just wanted to ask you two sort of final questions. I'm interested to know, and there's probably lots of this for you, but what was some one or two things that have been like, you know, your 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 most gratifying thing that you've done in your work with Pride at Work Canada? Like what's been your, your, the thing you're most proud of? And then I'm also curious to know, and this isn't necessarily just with Pride at Work Canada, but in your experience and all the work that you've done in this community, what are the areas where you still see pain and, and where we need to still do better? I think the thing that's been most valuable for me is just having the team that we have and the fact that we were able to engage enough employers to grow and create good jobs for people in our community. Everybody who works for us, 
is queer or trans, uh, not that we're opposed to hiring straight people. We will absolutely hire straight people. We just, we just haven't yet. Um, we don't get a lot of, appli- we don't get a lot of like, applications, lots of great ones. And we've had some really amazing straight allies on the board as well. And that's been really important mm-hmm. to our success. But I think building a team and being able to create good jobs that we, we pay folks, um, we find out what the kind of average uh, pay is in our sector for certain jobs. And we try to, we really try to shoot above that. Um, you know, we have nice. benefits um, that include gender affirming care. We added to the mental health um, uh, cap last year. And this year at our year end, we were able to do cash bonuses for our staff, which Ooh. is not, I've worked in the nonprofit Very sector nice. I, uh, my whole my whole career. I cannot tell you when I've ever gotten a bonus. Um, so That's yeah, being of. able to do stuff like that <laughs> and really take, advice from the staff on what we can be doing to be creating a more inclusive environment. You know, we want to be able to do that. And we won an award from Charity Village that was best employer for DEI, not for DEI consulting, Mm. but for our own internal practices, Mm -hmm. best nonprofit in Canada under 25 employees. Um, So that was a huge achievement. And a lot of our staff have that award in their email signature, which that's you walking your talk. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I, I'm the fact that they're proud of it makes me proud of it, you know, because th- th- they're proud mm-hmm. of where they work. And I, I love that. Um, in terms of what needs to change, I think that um, what comes to mind for me is that uh, particularly when it comes to queer and trans communities is that a lot of employers like to do kind of a blanket strategy for the whole community, but we don't actually see the challenges being felt evenly. Uh, when we look at um, instances of mm-hmm. violence in the workplace or otherwise, um, trans women are at a gr- the greatest risk of every type of violence that we see in Canada. And when it comes to kind of getting even a little bit more granular, Black trans women are 2,500% more likely to die by homicide than white trans women. That is devastating. Wow. That's some devastating um, information, right? Mm-hmm. So 2,500% more likely to die by homicide. So when I go to an employer, when we say, you know, what, what about a program that's specific to black trans women or racialized trans women? And they say, well, I don't know. We don't, we want to be pretty general. Well, we say, you know, th- the problems are not general. So let's talk about how we can have some of these very targeted solutions. So when I see some of the companies we work with, there was one company that did a targeted recruitment session for queer and trans people who are racialized. And they had some of their staff who are of that experience come and meet and connect with some job seekers. And I mean, stuff like that, that just, I love that because you're taking a a really specific approach to fix a really specific problem rather than just checking a box, right? You're just saying, oh, well, we did the LGBT thing Mm -hmm. for a year. They're doing things that are appealing to this very specific population that really, really needs their help. So that's what I think needs to change. And it's great to see that some folks are already going in that direction. That is a staggering Mm -hmm. statistic. Absolutely staggering. Um, And, and so is there any information on, on just trans women in general versus women who are not trans in, in terms of homicide rates is, I'm sure it's significantly higher. I'm just curious to know if you have Yeah, no, uh, trans women are four times more likely in general to die by homicide than cis women. And a lot of it is um, wow. lack of access to, um, you know, taxable employment. 
you know, a lot of it is not mm. being able to be hired and um, participating sometimes in sex work um, that they don't necessarily want to be participating in. There's a ton of folks who participate in sex work who um, that's their chosen field, that's their calling and they're great at it. And that's what they want to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of folks who are also um, doing survival sex work, right? And that puts them in a precarious position because right. it, it's not it's not completely the safe it's not the safest profession for everybody to be in across Canada in all places. So that really puts people right. at greater risk. Um, so you know, there's a um, a scholar, Florence Ashley, at the University of Toronto, and uh, they write very well about a lot of the very specific challenges um, that are being faced by trans women in particular, but trans people kind of by and large in Canada, Florence Ashley, incredible, incredible writer. And I just really encourage anybody who's interested in learning more to, to look up some of their writing on their website. Okay, good to know. Maybe we can tag that in our, in, um, well, at least on YouTube. Um, so Alex, jot that down. <laughs> Alex is fortunately in the background. <laughs> Colin, thank you so much for being here. I, I hope you'll come back because I feel like there's so much more that we can be talking about. And as I'm looking at my questions, I'm thinking, oh, I should have asked this and that. So I hope you will come back. Um, and I really appreciate your time here. Uh, it's It's been fantastic to learn. And I just, I mean, I enjoy your company. We, we have great conversations and, you know, we'll, we'll meet for half an hour and suddenly it's an hour, an hour later and we're still chatting away. So I really do appreciate you being here. Um, I just want to thank everyone also for joining us today. For more supplier diversity content, you can check us out at iwscc.ca. You can find us on YouTube or listen in on your favorite podcast program. We have new episodes every two weeks. Uh, and uh, so be sure to follow us. And thank you again, Colin, for being here. Thanks for having me.